Well, it's so good to see everybody, and thank you for your commitment to the first of our three C's, which is celebrate. It's our Sunday gathering, and we need it. We need to be together weekly to be renewed in the gospel and encouraged by the fellowship. And I have an announcement today. So we have been waiting for a while uh, to know what our plans are going to be for our grand opening, and I am ready to announce what those plans are going to be. So happily, Dominion Energy has uh, completed its hookup, hookup of power, and that was sort of the last step. And so now I am ready to announce to you that we uh, have set our grand opening for December 11th. I, I, I appreciate that response. I am personally uh, super gratified at this development. It'll be Christmas at Community West. I think it'll be a lovely season. People are interested in church, and you'll be able to invite people to come to our church at a time when they're more likely to be interested in coming. And I think we have a wonderful lead-up. Um, the key to our successful launch is your personal invitations to your friends, neighbors, and coworkers, And we'll have a runway, a lead-up, through November and early December that'll be a great runway for you to be doing that, that good work. And then I think we'll have a great schedule going into the new year uh, where we can integrate new people and get our missional fellowships going again. So I think this is a wonderful development. Um, I am grateful to God that we can announce that December 11th, uh, is a day. It's all systems go. I think we need as a church, we need a date. We need a firm date. We need to be able to be all systems go. And so I'm announcing today, all systems go for December 11th. And it needs to be said also, that, it, that doesn't mean everything is going to be perfectly finished by December 11th. Uh, we think, we have reason to believe, we have in our line of sight, that the crucial things will be in place. But we think it's more important to be able to go ahead and set a date than to know that every little jot and tittle is going to be in place. And in fact, I am quite certain that we'll be a year getting the building ready. Six months from now, we won't have pictures on the wall exactly where we want them to be. Things will be still being worked out. I think it's the difference between entertaining and offering hospitality. We are not entertaining. When you entertain people in a building, that means you're saying, oh, my house has to be perfect. When you offer hospitality, you say, come on in with warm smiles and warm greetings. And you say, we are so glad to have you here. And so the spirit of this thing is going to be on December 11th. Uh, we are so ready. We're so happy to welcome you into our home. Um, there's a lot that's here and there's more coming. And that more coming will be worked out as we go into the new year. Um, but I am asking you to mark your, your date, your calendars for December 11th. Um, I also want to say that we are planning on soft opening services on November 27th and December 4th. So dedication service on November 27th, one service, two services on December 4th. And sometimes people travel. Uh, this may be a year when you want to really make plans to be here for November 27th and December 4th. You know, make your, your plans around the holidays to make it a priority to be here. Lisa and I are going to do that. 
and we would just invite you to join us in this great work. So I think this is uh, a gift of God. I'm grateful for all the teams under Rick Essex's leadership. So many of you are working on those teams. You're preparing. But it's wonderful to be able to say, all systems go. We have a date, and we'll be glad uh, to be work, working toward that date. So, uh, can you tell I am excited uh, to move us out of the, just the, the land in between. So, uh, friends, today we are going to talk about uh, money and financial giving. And somebody asked me recently, uh, well, haven't we been talking about money a lot, what's the capital campaign and so forth? And then somebody else asked me, um, well, do, do you ever uh, preach and teach on financial stewardship? And I thought to myself, you know, there's a big difference between raising money and doing discipleship around financial stewardship. And I do not think we have done much discipleship around financial stewardship. So let me be clear. I know uh, people have all sorts of feelings, and maybe it's your first time here and you're saying, well, there they go. Churches are, you know, talking about money. And you've just got to, I've just got to say this, you've got to trust my pastor's heart. Um, today's message comes straight from my pastor's heart. And we have to trust God and the Lord Jesus Christ who seemed to think that this was a pretty important topic to talk about. Not, it's not about money, it's about discipleship. So here's the thing. At Community West, we teach the tithe. The tithe is um, it's an Old Testament and a New Testament concept. Jesus said he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So the tithe or 10% of our income, gross income, as a starting place. We, we teach it as a starting place for giving. And some of you will hear that and you will go, what planet are you from? Because some of you are thinking, that just seems impossible. And that's onerous. Now, others of you hear that and you say, I've experienced that and I know what a blessing that is. And then there are people that are all in between. But my heart this morning is to say this. Shame on me if we don't read the whole counsel of God and if I don't teach you, I don't disciple you on this important area of money, right? Shame on me. And so um, my heart is to say that I hope that we can hear, uh, that we can listen to Jesus today. So what we're doing really is you're not listening to me, you're listening to Jesus who has a lot to teach us through the passage, the New Testament passage that we're about to reach, we're about to read. Um, so I hope you'll relax. We also say that uh, we deeply believe that God won't love you any less if you never give a dime to the church or to Christian causes. This is not about salvation. Uh, good works will never merit anything uh, before God. What we're talking about really is a flourishing life and a flourishing spiritual life. And we have to talk about this topic if we're going to square up to a flourishing spiritual life. So I also think 
that today's message relates to our good news series because I think if you listen to Jesus and what he has to say, you'll hear good news today. So now, let me read our New Testament reading, which is Luke chapter 12, and let me invite you to turn to page 5 in your worship guide and follow along. Someone in the crowd, this is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, he looked out to the disciples in the crowd, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 12 is he's contrasting two narratives, two stories that people are living 
related to money. So in Luke 12, as it opens, Jesus is standing there with the disciples and others in the crowd, and a man comes up to him and asks a question, teacher, my brother, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now Jesus doesn't take on the question, but he uses the man's questions as an opportunity to talk about greed. Now stay with me just for a minute here. What Jesus says is, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So, Jesus says you have to watch out. Um, it will be undetectable to you if you don't watch out, if you don't pay special attention. So, one of the chief characteristics of greed is it's undetectable to the one who suffers from it. So what Jesus is saying is, uh, if you're greedy, or when you're greedy, when any of us is greedy, we will look at ourselves, and there will be no trace to our own eyes. Greed will be known by its undetectability. And so when it comes to greed, uh, I think we hear Jesus say, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We say... I know somebody like that, but none of us says, I wonder if Jesus is talking about me. So Jesus is trying to uh, stir us around this topic of greed, and then he goes on. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So now Jesus is talking about life. He's talking about a full life, a satisfying life. He wants you to have life, life. Do you want to have life? He wants you to have life also. How will you have a full and satisfying life? You think you know. What Jesus says is, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So what he's saying is, left to our own devices, every mortal person will default to a material vision for life. It's been the same in every generation. And so we say things like, well, how much is that person worth? What we mean is, um, we, we've, we've put a person's identity um, in economic terms. Or we say, well, that person's been very successful. What do we mean? Well, we mean they've made a lot of money. Jesus says, life does not consist in the very thing that every human heart will default to believing it does consist in, and that is the abundance of your possessions. So how would we know? Um, how much of your time do you spend thinking about your next car, your next house, your next trip, or your next installment of a secure retirement? Whew, inflation is a little high right now. And um, I went into the Dunkin' Donuts, 10 days ago, and I went through the drive-thru, and I said, I'll have a decaf non-fat latte, which is what I order. And the, the girl on the other end of the line said, drive around. I thought that was a little abrupt, but I drove around, and then there's this dark-haired, brown-eyed, 17-year-old cutest thing, deadpan expression, and she said to me, that'll be $100. <laughs> I 
for my latte. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I said, I, I thought, and I said, you know, the way inflation's going, um, that sounds about right to me. <laughs> and then she gave me the employee discount, I guess since I was such a fun customer. So she said, that'll be $5.19, and it's usually $5.84. <laughs> and I said, bingo, I'll take it for $5.19. But the point is, we're all, uh, we're cued into these things. Uh, we're thinking about economics all the time. We're thinking about how we make e the economic side of life work. It's constantly on our brains. We're anxious about it. We're worrying about it. We think we have to do it ourselves. And so Jesus comes and he warns and he says, listen, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions for your significance or your security. And so then he tells a parable. So he's looking at the whole crowd now and he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So here's a man who has a lot. He's already rich but he's not sure he has enough. So this is our problem. Our problem is our problem with enough. We may have a lot, but we're not sure we have enough. We constantly don't think we have enough. We always know we need more. We're convinced of that. We need more than we have now. So here's a man who has a problem with enough, and he has anxiety about whether or not he'll have enough. And so then he has this conversation with himself. Verse 17. Look at the language here. Look at the verbiage, the way Jesus puts it at verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say, to whom? To myself. You have, a, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. So here's a man who's not sure he has enough. Incessantly, he's rich, he has barns, but he feels the need to build bigger barns. That's the insatiable churn in him. And he's also trying to work out what he's going to do with his wealth dilemma independently of God. And that's the point. So he doesn't pray. He doesn't consult God's way on He says to himself, I'll work this out in the closed set of my own thoughts. In other words, in effect, he's saying to God, I've got this. Do you see the point? Do you see how the parable is laid out? I've got this. God, he doesn't actually say it, but he's saying, I'm going to work this out. I'm anxious about it. I've got to work this out. What you don't see him doing is depending on God. And so when it comes to money and possessions, he is someone who is saying, in effect, God, you stay over there, and I'll work out my money problems over here. Are you with me? So I think, I can't help but think of the Garden of Eden. Um, God had some instructions for the man and the woman. Woman, He had a way of life. 
but they didn't want his way. He said to them, don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, but they said, uh, I'll do it my way. And so they did. They did it their way instead. So I think Jesus is saying to us, how would we know if we have a problem with greed? We'll start here. Your financial affairs are all under your control. There's no voice, there's no voice of God that can sway your self-determined will. You've got it close to the vest. You've got it held tightly. And you're worrying. <clears throat> and the man makes no mention of giving, which makes sense to me, because his problem is a problem of enough, and it's an insatiable problem. And so I will hear Christians um, often say, um, I think you're annoyed. I think a lot of Christians are annoyed by the suggestion that you might give a tithe, which is 10%, because some people will say, do you know what a tithe is? Have you looked at that number? And you'll look at it and you'll say, that's impossible. And you're annoyed um, because it's so much and it feels like such a stretch and you have such a problem with enough. And so giving becomes a bitter pill. Giving just becomes an annoyance. Giving becomes something that you just feel guilted into. There's no joy in it. There's no pleasure in it. There's no peace in it. And it all goes back to this thing that, don't you know, I don't have enough. And so I think that's how our thinking um, is twisted. And we look at other people, and we're sure other people have enough. We're sure they do. And we know our perceptions are not right. And there are always people that have less than we do. We, we never look at them. But it gets back to a problem with enough. And we say to ourselves, well, one day I would give, I'll give or I'll tithe, and that day will be when I have enough. But friends, the truth is that day will never come. Because nobody ever has enough. It's not about having extra to give. Everybody has a problem in their own human thinking with enough. And so that's the whole setup for the parable. He says, I don't have enough. I need bigger barns. And so finally the man actually comes clean, too, in the parable um, that his life does consist in the abundance of his possessions because he concludes this. Here's his vision for life. Here's his, his material vision. Because when I build, maybe, when I build the bigger barns, here's what I can do. I can take life easy, I can eat, drink, and be merry. And most of us have some version of life that's the same. We don't acknowledge it, maybe it's operating kind of silently underneath. It's hard to be an American and not have a vision of life that is a vision of a comfortable life, materially. It's a life of some version of eat, drink, and be merry. So Jesus is saying, and you've got you've to picture that there, there's love in his eyes. You've got to picture love in his eyes. And he's saying, I want you to know uh, about one narrative 
about how to re you might relate to your money and possessions. It's a narrative where you are operating independently from God. That's important. It's an I'll do it my way story. And I might add, this man may have had many noble causes. He needs to provide for his family. He's saving for his children's education. He's motivated to have a secure retirement. They're always noble causes. What there isn't is dependence on God, and there's no conversation with God regarding, regarding God and his ways. So how does Jesus assess that approach? Verse 20, these are not my words, these are Jesus' words. He says, but God, why don't you look at verse 20 with me and just maybe read that with me. But God said to him, you fool. Now it's important to see, he's not saying you immoral or bad person. This is about wisdom, not morality. This is about getting down the road. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing now how you're going to feel about something later. This is about getting down to the end of the road and looking back and having regrets and saying, I'm so sorry I lived that way. And so what Jesus says is, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. In other words, your temporal life is shorter than you think. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? Answer, not you, because you'll soon be dead. Verse 21, this is, and this is sobering. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So look at that phrase, just ponder that phrase, being rich toward God. What in the world does that mean? I don't know about you, but I feel like in this passage, that comment, rich toward God, just like comes out of the blue. I thought we were talking about other things. And Jesus says, I'm leading you somewhere. I want you to be rich toward God. Well, what does that mean? Well, we need to find out. But we probably would all readily admit, I want on some level to be rich toward God. I want to have a rich spiritual life. I want to be close to God. I want to know God. I want to relate to God. Maybe I would even say I want to obey God. I want to worship God. I want to be rich toward God. And Jesus sets this thing up, and it's, this is where the stakes get high, because over in Matthew, they're talking about giving, and he says, listen, I just got to tell you, you can't serve God in mammon. You can't serve God in money. The chief rival to your heart is going to be your stuff. And so the stakes are pretty high here. So he's saying, I want you to be rich toward God. And I think what happens now is Jesus finishes the parable with the rest of it. Because the rest of it, in the rest of it, the story turns. And so far, this man is living a I'll do it my way story with, re with respect to his money and possessions. And now Jesus is saying, okay, but now I want to contrast that and give you a better story. So, you've just got to, I don't know how you're feeling right about now, um, I, you're not meant to feel discouraged. You're not meant to feel. You're meant to feel um, that this is always words of life, and so I pray that you just open yourself to what comes next. So there are two stories, and Jesus um, is warning 
that the material vision can wrap its tentacles and have a stranglehold on our hearts. But there is a better story. A story of being rich toward God. And I picture Jesus being very compassionate to the crowd at this point because he knows our hearts and he knows how hard this is for us. And so let's go on. Verse 22, please follow along with me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, uh, do not worry. Now that's welcome news. Do not worry about your life. All right, we're still talking about the fullness of life. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And we might say, Jesus, I can't imagine having a worry-free life about my financial needs. You don't know my needs. You don't know my needs of my children. You don't know my own needs. Where uh, am I going to get uh, money for my 401k? The stock market's down. Um, I'm up at night looking at those numbers plummeting. Jesus, it seems, out of touch. But he is saying, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will drink. So he's trying to tell us something. So verse 23, and this is the one that I've just been kind of savoring. For life, look at that word in verse 23. For life, he's still talking about life. He's still talking about the fullness of life. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So just let that phrase sink in. Jesus wants us to know what life consists in. And he's right-sizing food and clothes. We worry about going to the latest restaurant or wearing clothes that are in fashion. We worry about not having just a house, but the next house. Part of what's happening is Jesus is reordering our desires. He's reordering the things that we think we need in order to make life work. So he says, all those things you're worrying about for life is more than these things. Or life is found someplace other than these things. Then Jesus gives a couple of metaphors. And still, this is about a new narrative. It's not one based on independence from God with respect to money and possessions, but it's now this new dependence. So, you'd never thought this could be possible because you thought all God wants is your money and He doesn't understand your needs. But Jesus is saying, wait a minute, I want to bring you back into a dependent, trusting place. And so he uses metaphors. He says, verse 24, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet, and here's the key phrase, yet God feeds them. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, some of us have been worrying about money, money and, and things for so long, we can't even take this in, this notion that possibly God could provide. But what Jesus is saying is, uh, God feeds the ravens, He clothes the wildflowers with beauty. He's trying to move us into a new dependence. And so verse 28, He says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So listen, what Jesus is doing is is he's inviting us into the life of faith related to the very place where we are certain we have to do it ourselves. Are you with me? He's inviting us to take the leap of reasonable faith. And so I think here is, I think the, here's the gospel of the kingdom related in this text. Jesus is saying, you have a heavenly father now. You have a heavenly father. Which of us who is a father or a mother doesn't long for our children? We see our children, and I have a child, and I see my child go off and try to do it on her own, and she says, I can do this myself. And which of us, as imperfect as we are, as imperfect as I am, doesn't long for her to come to me and say, I need you. I need your help. Will you help me? I need to depend on you for my needs. And you're the same way. And the picture is of our Heavenly Father who is saying to us, I want you to depend on me in this important area of your possessions. You have a Heavenly Father now. And he's saying, I'm ushering in a new kingdom where your sins are forgiven and you're reconciled to God the Father. And one of the things he says is you don't have to fear so much. So verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So bottom line, what's happening is God is giving you himself. And it's always this way. We're trying to fill our empty hearts with what we can get in stores and we can set our hearts on. And your father is pleased to give you the good king and life in his kingdom. So finally, um, we just come in this text, and and just hang with me for this last part. I know we've been walking through it, but we come to this matter of giving. And so in verse 33, uh, Jesus says, Now that we've reestablished this dependent relationship, sell your possessions and give to the poor, Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. I think what Jesus is saying is an an important expression of dependence is financial giving. So here's the thing. What giving does is it means that you're required to depend on God for your provision. It puts you in a place beyond your own means. Any of us that ever ever gives or if we tithe, we've tithed or we've given beyond ourselves. We've tithed in a way that our finances won't work unless God does something. And I think that's the very point. He's trying to get us into a place of dependence. And he says this thing about purses. And he's saying that there's a type of financial investment that builds treasure in heaven. And when you give to the ministry of the church, uh, one day somebody might come up to you in heaven and say, I'm here because of the ministry of Community West. Your contributions and support to this church are the reason I'm now here in heaven. I came back to church at Community West. I grew to understand forgiveness in Christ. 
And I'm here in heaven because of your support for this church or how you opened up your home for ministry. The youth came in and spilled juice, juice on the carpet and I had to replace it. The whole point of providing purses in heaven, New Testament scholar Ken Bailey says the grammar here it is it means to use your money not to serve yourself or your family, but to serve God. So here's the thing, uh, just panning back, in Proverbs, um, it speaks of giving the first fruits. And in Old Testament times, people gave from the first of their crops to the temple treasury. It's the same biblically with the tithe in the Malachi verse. You give it off the top. And our natural instinct is to say, that's nuts. I won't have enough. Right? And that's the whole point. You give, and then you trust. And God shapes your desires. I've heard stories uh, where people started, started with their faithful giving, and they didn't know uh, where tuition would come from, or where some of their basic needs would come from, or how some of their family's needs would be met. And then they got a new job, or they got some windfall. And what they were learning was new dependence. So it's the beauty. Uh, we're talking about a practice, a practice of spiritual giving. And the practice starts with making your faith giving commitment first and then trusting God with the rest. So I'll just really, I'm about to close, and I just want to close with a personal illustration. I think we all default, it's not one and done, we all default to I'll do this myself mentality. And I feel like I have done that lately in my, in my personal giving. And let me just try to tell you the story recently. Um, Lisa and I have made our pledge, pledges to the operating and also the capital budgets. And our savings have dwindled some and I like to be able to give if we have some savings to invest it and give appreciated stock because then you avoid the capital gains and you also get or able to give more. This year the stock market hasn't cooperated. And so I've been uh, given to sort of wringing my hands a little bit and saying when will it come around? And then I realized uh, that I on behalf of our family, have been trying to do this myself. And so I just had to get back to first things first. So what we have started to do is just start writing checks. And we've started um, accommodating our lifestyle accordingly. We're, we've shopped at different places. We've made different choices regarding restaurants and travel. We've started accommodating um, our lives differently. And actually, I've started looking around the house for stuff to sell to make money to give to the church. And so we've had these Oriental rugs that I had previously in life, and I've worked out a way I'm going to try to sell them. And the pledge is to give it all toward our operating budget pledge. Now, I tell you this story um, not to say that I feel required to do that in order to somehow get in God's good graces, in fact, what it's done for me is it's, it's given me enormous peace. Because I think when you, um, you'll never have peace until you operate God's way. 
And God has laid out a way. And when you operate God's way, it's the only way you'll have peace and joy. And it's the only way you'll start to see some things unfolded in your life that are surprising. And so Lisa and I have had to repent, mainly me. And we've had to go back to not we'll do it our way narrative, but we'll do it God's way. Because that's, for us, a better story. And it will be for you too. So let me just try to encourage you. Uh, I hope that there will be something that you will be led to do uh, simply to make a step in this area. Nobody is watching. Nobody is policing. This is between you and God. And you're just invited to make a step. And really it's a step of dependence. And it's a step of arranging your life and ordering your finances God's way. Is that fair enough? And so, um, this is what Jesus teaches, and Jesus uh, wants us to have life. And so I'll close by saying this. In the parables, I've said in the past, there's the secular and the surprise and the scandal. The secular start is a rich man had an abundant harvest. The surprise is God's response to, I'll do it my own way. He says, you fool, you'll be sorry. And the scandal of God's grace is you have a heavenly father now, and he invites you into a new obedience that will give you life. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, that you would encourage um, the hearts of those who need encouragement and who are trying to sort this out. I pray um, that we would begin to embrace some of the promises that you own a cattle on a thousand hills and that you're not a God of scarcity, but in Jesus Christ, abundance. And I pray that just like Lisa and I um, had to do a type of repentance and still have to do a type of repentance daily, that you would invite us all into your way of dependence and joy and peace. Um, help us to help each other. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.